Hey Enneagram friends, I'm Abby, an IA-accredited Enneagram teacher and certified somatic practitioner. My work has always been an invitation for greater self-awareness and really a compassionate curiosity for the world. And I offer that invitation through corporate Enneagram workshops, private coaching, and educational resources like this podcast. In this season of the podcast, I'm inviting fellow Enneagram teachers, authors, and practitioners into the podcast space to share with you about personal growth all through the lens of their personal type structure. In this episode, I share a conversation with Ashton Whitmoyer over about her experience in personal growth through the lens of her type structure as an Enneagram 2. Let me share with you just a little bit about Ashton before I invite you into our conversation. So Ashton is an author, public speaker, and community psychologist, as well as a certified Enneagram educator. With a desire to see relationships strengthened, she created an Enneagram Ashton on Instagram in 2019. She's the author of several books, including Enneagram for Relationships and The Enneagram Made Simple. So Enneagram friends, I am so thankful to get to share this episode with you as Ashton offers a wealth of information, not just about the type, but also just shares incredible language around her personal growth as a type two and what it feels like to live in that type structure. So I hope that you'll listen in with curiosity and compassion, whether you lead with type two or you're in relationships with twos in your life. Well, thank you very much for being here, Ashton. It's a gift to get to share an Enneagram conversation with you and get to learn more about you and that type two structure. So thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So, you know, we are focusing on not just type two, but also growth within your type and, and not even growth for all type twos, but specifically looking at your personal development journey and what that's looked like for you. Um, so if we can kind of retrace though, and start back at the beginning, you know, how did you land on type two? Did you, uh, you know, visit different numbers around the diagram or did you know right away that you were two? What was that process like for you? Yeah, it was an interesting process because I think right off the bat, I was like, oh, I'm I'm definitely a two. Like I knew I was a two just by reading those, you know, biggest fears, those biggest desires. Um, but I actually look a lot more like other types. So I think when I made that connection of motivations versus behaviors, that was when it really clicked for me um, because I, I related mostly to those motivations versus um um, on on paper, I look a lot like a three, a nine. And when I take a test, I score as a nine and a three, like all the time. Like those are my top two scores, um, which is, you know, I'm sure you have similar thoughts on tests as I yeah. do um, and why it's, it's important to dive deeper into it. Um, but it was pretty obvious for me right off the bat because of that desire to feel loved and wanted. And it wasn't that I didn't feel loved or wanted in my family structure growing up or, you know, in my everyday life, it just, uh, the importance of feeling loved and wanted outweighed, um, the need to keep the peace like the nine and the need to feel valued and respected or to avoid failure like the three. So that's kind of how I landed on it. But there, there are still times, right, where I'm like, could I be a three? Could I be a nine? And then I get really stressed out and I'm like, oh, no, I'm definitely a two because of that connection to the eight. Like, I can definitely see it clearly um, in different areas of my life. Yeah, for sure. And I think it is, it's so helpful to hear Enneagram teachers and practitioners talk about that, those moments of thinking like, am I actually a different number? Because I, yeah. you know, interacting with a lot of people in that coaching space, 
it feels like an existential crisis of like, oh no, like what yes. if I'm wrong? Yeah. And the reality is like, there's nothing wrong with that feeling. And also sometimes that's just part of the journey of like clarifying because, you know, maybe you are actually a different type and that's a good curiosity mm -hmm. and maybe you're not. And then you can ask some more clarifying questions to kind of land there. So. Oh yeah. And I always say too, like I hired somebody to help me. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's important for coaches and Enneagram experts to also have coaches and experts to rely on because, you know, we are taking in all of this information all the time and outputting all of this information all the time. And so to be able to have somebody else to, you know, have conversations with and to run things by and, and to really like validate your feelings and your thoughts about your type, I think is really important. Yeah, for sure. You know, and for me, I mean, even as you say, like having other practitioners, you know, mm -hmm. I, the, my first experience was reading a book and I thought I was a five. I, you know, read a book, <laughs> went through the descriptions and then it was the first time I was in a workshop and, and hearing an instructor actually talk about the types. Um, and then I realized very quickly, oh no, sweetheart, you are an eight. Um, yeah. but I'm a self-preservation eight. So I have a lot yeah. of five tendencies. So I wasn't yeah. completely off base. Um, but I mean that experience, I don't know how long I would have gone had I just, you know, read the right. book and, and lived into that because there are a lot of pieces even now there's a lot of pieces yeah. about five that's still laying with me so it's yeah. important to have that that expertise and, and that community and the expertise of mm -hmm. people you know supporting you and asking questions yeah. yeah i agree so then how did you find this work as an enneagram teacher an author public speaker how did that part of it find you yeah so i have my I, my background is in psychology, so I've always worked in the helping field, which like, you know, me being a two, it's like the cheesiest thing to say, but <laughs> it's reality. <laughs> I'm, I'm a community psychologist by trade, so doing work in the community um, and to, you know, strengthen community, strengthen relationships, things like that. So when I was introduced to the Enneagram in my grad school career um, or during my grad program, it just seemed like a a natural fit to like what I actually wanted to do. Um, at that time, like I had no idea that I was going to be doing this for a living or like for my life. Um, but I just, you know, you utilized it as another tool in my toolbox. And that's really what kind of captivated me about the Enneagram is I've always been into Myers-Briggs, Strength Finders, Disc Assessment, like even from a very young age, I've always wanted to understand people. I'd go to the bookstore with my mom and I'd go straight to the psychology section, like as an 11 year old, like who does that? <laughs> um, but what I loved about the Enneagram was that it was a tool and it mm -hmm. wasn't just, okay, this is who you are. And you kind of just go through, go through your life like that is this is, you know, why we do the things that we do and how do we change some of those behaviors that we don't like. So I started my Instagram account first and then came home one day um, and said to my fiance, who's now my husband, um, like, I think this is something that I'm doing now. <laughs> I was like, I think <laughs> I need to like go become certified because people are asking me for help and I want to help them. That's like my natural, you know, reaction. I want to help people, but I want to make sure that I'm like equipped to do so. So that's kind of how I got started in it. And it just led yeah, to writing books and speaking and helping other people and workshops and all of the things. Yeah. Well, and it's so interesting. So it sounds like even just that, you know, that uh, presence on social media and the momentum and conversations that were created really was what became like that driving force to, to oh, I need to know more because I want to be able to help and to be able yeah. to talk through this and provide support. Um, how cool. Yeah. 
Definitely. And yeah, having conversations with people, you know, of let me share with you what the Enneagram is and how, how it's helped my life and my relationships. And like, I want all of these things for you too, you know? So that kind of was the driving force for sure. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So, you know, when you first discovered your type thinking about, you know, some of the earlier years, um, you know, when we first discover a type, sometimes we have these, these instant moments of solidarity of like, I found my people, but then also we have the moments of, um, like the ouch factor sinks in of like, Oh, you just said something that's a little bit uncomfortable about me to everyone in this workshop or in this book for all to read. Um, so I'm wondering what those, uh, those initial like ouch moments were as you kind of landed on and and made home in type two. The inability to say no because of the need to feel loved for sure was a punch in the gut and the fact of am I doing this because I want to feel loved or am I doing this because I genuinely want to help this person mm-hmm. I think those were um kind of the 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 top two things where I was like oh I'd never thought of that before you know it's easy to sit here and be like no I give out of the you know, kindness of my own heart. And I would never just, you know, give an order to receive. But when you, you know, are sit there and are honest with yourself, it's not necessarily like I'm giving to, you know, have somebody give me a gift after it's, was I doing this to have, to receive that gift of like feeling needed and wanted and, and loved. And so that, I, that first moment of, of the ouch, like you said, the ouch factor of like, oh, is this how I am? And is this how I'm perceived? Right. Mm-hmm. Because twos often do care a lot what people think about them. Um, and, and so that was a huge piece as well as I mentioned this before, but the stress piece mm-hmm. of twos going to the eight, um, for me, I've always been, I've always been this way. Like when I feel like kind of out of control, I can go from like zero to 100 or lash out even growing up. Um, my parents were, my parents divorced when I was very young and I would feel, you know, I'd have, when I'd have to go between houses, that like lack of control and it would cause me to lash out. So being able to identify that and realize that that attributes to like feeling loved and wanted, that it's all connected and like having those like punch in the gut moments of like, oh yeah, now everybody in the world also knows this about me um but like I said what I love about the Enneagram is like we can change those things we can identify them quicker and use the Enneagram to grow in those areas yeah for sure so you know there's kind of these three different pieces that you mentioned but I'm curious you know even if we go back to that like that um inability to say no what Mm. was it obviously it always starts with awareness right you can't change something that you don't see or notice in your everyday context but but how did you balance that out you know, once you see it, how did you quote unquote change it? Oh, and it took a long time. Like it wasn't like, oh, I know this about myself. Now I'm going to change it tomorrow. And there are still times right today where I'm like, I see this need and I want to fill it because, you know, like it is nice to feel needed in that way. I think for me, it's, it was setting that boundary of um, like, what do I want to do versus what do I feel like I have to do? 
And, you know, part of that was even with my business. Like, what are the things that I feel like I have to do as a business owner versus what are the things that I actually want to do? I think that uh, question and that like heart check was really important for me to be able to differentiate. And, And it was difficult to kind of figure that out on my own. Like, what do I actually like to do? You know, um, because I'm so used to just doing either what's expected or what I'm told to do or what's going to make me feel loved. And so, um, it's been a journey, you know, it's been a journey that I've definitely, um, you know, grown in, but also just like everybody have, have room to kind of strengthen those boundaries even more. Yeah, for sure. Well, and the reality too is, you know, even as we come into these spaces where we have more awareness, we have some some legs and some practices to help us, you know, move forward in a way that's more balanced and less reactive, there's going to be a new season and there's going to be a new yeah. person that comes in and a new responsibility or a new role that is placed on us and, and those change things. And so we have to, I mean, we're always renegotiating what practices we need and what um, like what are, you know, these sticking points for us. Um, you know, I'm curious as you, you ask these questions of, um, you know, what is it that I want to do? What I have to do? Um, sometimes even the language I'll hear from twos is like, what is mine to do? Um, and, and trying to be mindful of that. Do you feel like that is a space that, uh, you're able to reflect on on your own, or do you typically need to verbally process it out loud and kind of have a, a tribe or, or another person supporting you in it? All of the above, right? So um, (laughs) therapy (laughs) was a big piece of it. Um, Also working with other Enneagram practitioners, like I said, uh, my husband, my my friends, and really, you know, sometimes it's, and with friends and family, like they're used to me Mm -hmm. saying yes to everything. And so, you know, that was difficult or they're also used to me like caring a lot about what they think or their Mm -hmm. opinions. So I think that was an interesting um, change in almost like trajectory as well, where um, my relationships kind of changed a little bit too, where, you know, I'm setting that boundary. And if I don't want to go do that thing, or if I, you know, am have am like socialized out at this point, you know, I'm okay to say no, and they're not used to that. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, definitely verbally processing, also internally processing, just kind of working through what, what that looks like and what that means. Yeah. So when you land on that space of like, this is what I want to do, or this is what I think is mine to do. Um, how do you know that you've landed there? Like, is there a sense, sometimes people talk about like a fence felt sense of knowing like this, this feels good. Like it's not reactive or anxiety producing, like this feels true. Or sometimes people, you know, it's like a pro con list or they're aligning it with their values and they're just hoping for the best. Like, what is that? What is that like for you? For me, it's like this long, I mean, it is like, there is an anxiety attached to it. There isn't worry about, you know, what people are going to think about me. You know, even if I were to go do the thing, I would still be like, oh, did I do it okay? Did I do enough? You know, like there were still those questions that were going through my mind. For me though, it's a long-term almost feeling of not being burnt out. Like 
burnout is huge for twos, as you probably know. And it was very quick. Like I was very quick to get to that burnout stage. And when I am in a good and healthy place of being able to set those boundaries and to say no, and to only focus on the things that I actually want to do, or like Marie Kondo says, like the things that bring me joy. Mm -hmm. um, I know that I'm like, I'm not burnt out. Like I'm in a good and healthy space. I'm doing the things that I want to do. And I'm able to show up better for the Mm -hmm. people in my life. Yeah, for sure. Well, it sounds like, I mean, even as you're talking through that, just as an incredible amount of compassion that you had for yourself in those moments and and continue to have for yourself. Um, You know, I think um, when I've, I remember my first teacher is always talking about like, it starts with awareness and then compassion. And then you go from there. And as an mm-hmm. eight, I'm like, I don't know about that compassion. <laughs> Except feels like a bunch of nonsense. Um, and so I, you know, in my early years and still in moments of like, Hey, here's the things we're supposed to be doing. Let's just go do the things to be better. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it has to start with compassion, right? Otherwise we're just using our type to fix our type. Yeah. Um, and so in those moments, like an incredible amount of compassion that you offered yourself. I think what's interesting too is, um, you know, just thinking about subtypes, like I, when I first discovered the Enneagram and first discovered subtypes, immediately thought I was a self-preservation because I think I had like swung so far over to the side of like, no, I've been taking care of everybody else. Now I need to take care of me. And now that I'm able to set better boundaries and have those conversations, I'm definitely showing up more as a social too, Mm -hmm. because I have those like systems in place almost. Yeah, for sure. For sure. One of the things that you had mentioned, even as you were talking through like setting boundaries and some of these things that you're processing with your family and friends was kind of these moments of like, they're used to me doing that, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're used to my two-ness and sometimes in in an incredible gift and sometimes in in ways that weren't, as you look back, so healthy. Um, And I think that's always a really hard moment, no matter what your type is, but especially as we think about twos in this fostering connection with others. Um, it's such a tricky moment of almost trying to reteach people like how to treat us, reteach yeah. people what to expect from us, what's appropriate, what's hurtful. Um, and so I'm just curious if, if that, you know, if there was any pieces of that that you could share of as you were kind of like renegotiating relationships with people, what that looked like for you. You know, I, I think that it's difficult because my family has a lot of strong personalities and some of the stronger types. Mm -hmm. And so it was very easy for me to slip into the, like, I'll just go along with what everybody else wants to do. Again, that's where some of those nine characteristics show up. I'll just go along with what everybody else wants to do, other people's opinions. I'll kind of just silence my own. And it's still a work in, in progress, right? But I think, you know, being able to communicate a little bit more about how I'm feeling about things or, um, you know, you can't treat people that way has allowed them to kind of include me in the conversation a little bit more. Yeah. I don't know if it's intentional on their part, right? But it's kind of what I'm observing from the outside looking in. Um, and similar with, similarly with, with friends where I'm able to stick up for myself a little bit more and say, like, no, this is how I, I want to be treated. And, you know, I'm at the age too, where it's like, I'm like friendships can be exhausting and I'm only going to have the people in my life that, um, you know, are, are kind of showing up in the, in the way that I need and, and that I'm showing up for them in the way that they need. And, and I think it's a mutual thing too, you know, like I've had a lot of mutual conversations where 
okay, this is what I need from you. This is what you need from me. And like, we can kind of move forward together in that way. Yeah, for sure. Well, and what a gift too, thinking that a lot of those things is not like, okay, I have something to say. This is why I've gathered you all here. But instead that it's like mutual conversations of you're slowly refining. Um, Yeah. And I think sometimes the like pent up anxiety around like, I need to redefine this friendship because this is exhausting or this is so whatever and I don't like that anymore. But the reality is like, it's always a slow refining. Like we're always Mm -hmm. slowly moving the dial this way a little bit and then the dial that way a little bit um, and trying Mm -hmm. to figure out like, how do we do life well together? And how do we like live our friendship in a way that's life-giving for both of us? Yeah, definitely. So um, you mentioned, you know, that also as you were kind of landing on type two and even some of the growing edges and, and these pieces that you're, you were unearthing as you landed on two um, was also that move to eight and, and those moments of out of controlness and, and kind of swinging over there in those stress moments. What does that look like as a, you know, you reference it as a child, but what did that look like in your early years of first discerning your type, um, like as an adult? No, oh, Yeah kind of embarrassing you know this is like the this is the punch in the gut stuff right here I mean um you know kind of like I said it it was related a lot to like the lack of control for me um and you know it's it did look a lot like being sharper with my tone or quick to anger um you know a lot of times I it would surprise people sometimes too, right? Because there are a lot of things I just don't get mad about. But when I was mad, like I knew I was stressed, you know, like I, I'm able to make that connection of like, oh, I must be stressed because I'm like really ticked off right now. Um, so yeah, it would look, you know, even a little bit aggressive and and just wanting to like re do whatever I can to like regain that control. So like going from zero to 100, but then like feeling immense guilt after, because you know, that's where the twos also land is in like that shame spiral. Mm -hmm. So it does, you know, when I work with twos as well, it's, it's a very common reaction of like, I'm going to get angry for like 0.5 seconds. And then I'm going to like spend the rest of my day feeling guilty about that anger. Yeah, for sure. Well, and and it's, you know, there's a lot of solidarity in naming like, and it is, you know, whether we were talking about your type, another type, there's a whole ton of people that are feeling and responding the same way that you are. Your palms are Um, sweating. Yeah, right. But it's, (laughs) and, and so thank you for also talking through that, because I think sometimes we will get into these moments where we have like this quiet shame about things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really helpful to realize like, yeah, there's a whole world of people that are also navigating the same pieces too. Um, and and it doesn't have to always be this part of it, um, right. but but there's a lot of other people navigating it too. Mm-hmm. So as you think about that, um, and, and really so much of what you're describing, I, I even imagine it as like, you know, that positive outlook of the type two. And then yeah. it's like, you're positive, positive, positive. And then like something is the last, <laughs> you know, the final straw. And then it just goes straight over to that eight with a lot yeah. of fury. Um, so, you know, when you think about this piece that you have are mindful of and have awareness around and are, have grown in, what did that growth look like? Were there specific practices that you took on or even like a mentality that you took on to help balance out that reactivity of moving over to eight? Well, like you said, I think a lot of it has been awareness where, you know, before the Enneagram, I would have respond this way and not know why. Yeah. 
And so now I'm able to kind of get to the root of it. I can give you a great example, which is kind of embarrassing, but I'm going to give it to you anyways. Yesterday, I, I experienced this, like, because again, it the, the awareness is there, but it still comes up, right? Totally. Happen. So I was trying to get out of the door, which is a, a whole thing in and of itself. I have an almost two-year-old. <laughs> trying to get out of the door to go teach. I'm a part-time professor everything was happening I like opened a jar of peanut butter and it like shot out at me had to change my outfit spilled my coffee like all of the things and I just was like let's go let's get in the car like saying like saying bye to my husband in a sharp way and then getting in the car and having like a a 30 minute drive of the shame spiral right Mm -hmm. we're like but instead of getting stuck in that shame which I would previously do Mm-hmm. I was able to like identify it, apologize, name it for what it was. I should have woken up earlier. I'm I'm sorry. It wasn't you. It was me, you know, being mad at myself. And I think that's like a lot of it where people see that stress response in twos and think they're like mad at you, mad at the world. And really it's like anger at themselves for, mm-hmm. you know, doing something or not doing something. But instead of staying there, I was able to like identify those feelings, know why I was feeling that way and then move through it. Yeah. Yeah. When I love that too, of even just thinking like having that awareness gave you the gift of, of being able to be kinder to yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, even when we think about the stress response, if we boil it down, the piece that we should also keep in mind is like, we're also just stressed. So in the same way that like, if someone comes over and like, I'm really stressed. And then as a friend, we're not going to start beating them up for being stressed, right. right? Or shaming them or being angry with them for being stressed. Right. (laughs) But our instant response is like, ah, like, I'm so sorry. That is a crummy day, a crummy week, a crummy season, crummy situation. Right. Mm -hmm. But we never offer that kindness to ourselves. And so even as you talk through that experience of like this moment of like offering kindness to ourselves, and then if there are natural consequences to what happened that we can go back and address, illuminate, apologize for if that's what's appropriate. Um, Because there's so many things that, you know, even in that moment with a little one, right? They learn so much by hearing us apologize and actually saying those words to them um, Mm -hmm. as an adult to a child. And so that's great too. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it's been a journey. <laughs> and that's like what I want everybody to know is like, we don't have it all figured out. Mm-hmm. You know, like we're on the journey too. Um, yes, we're teaching about these things, but it doesn't mean that we don't also struggle with them at times. Yeah, right. Because there's no arriving, right? It's just a consistent evolution of becoming more aware, having more, um, you know, awareness of our reactivity to balance it out. But like, we don't arrive. There's not like a golden certificate that we get. And then we're yeah. just great human beings. <laughs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> You know, and I think the other thing too is even thinking about this move from um, from two over to five. Um, I think also keeping in mind, like, you know, it doesn't always have to be that you get pushed over into from that two point over into eight. Like sometimes you can choose to take on some of those eight characteristics to help yourself in that moment, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, that that moment of um, like just stating clearly what is wrong or what is needed and how someone can, you know do their part so that it's not all you. Um, And so even that takes that slow awareness too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
So, um, you know, I know that this is something that you mentioned kind of in this current season, but but it, what is, you know, is there any other practices as we kind of think about like twos in general? So as you're, you know, preaching to the twos um, mm-hmm. or those that love twos, mm-hmm. um, is, is there any other practices or awareness that feels like outside of what we've already kind of illuminated in those early years and even in this current context, um, but just things that feel like this is what I want the twos to know, or this was a, a helpful practice um, for me as I'm, you know, trying to balance out some of the reactivity of my type structure. Yeah, I think, you know, oh, we talked about this so much, but that awareness piece and yeah. really just being gentle with yourself. It's mm-hmm. so easy to put ourselves down and to criticize ourselves and to, you know, get caught in that shame cycle. But, you know, we know how to treat other people. It's kind of what we're known for. And so part of that is is practicing that um, self-care. I think self-care is a, is a cheesy concept and word these days and overused. But, you know, really just caring for yourself, like you're able to care for other people. And whether that be, you know, mantras have really helped me. Journaling has really helped me. Um, just being able to like step into my power a little bit more. And when doing so, then that helps me go to some of the healthier side of the eight, which is being able to set boundaries a little bit more, you know, tell people what I want, be a little bit more confident and assertive, Mm -hmm. uh, which doesn't tend to come naturally to us twos. Um, But I think, you know, getting your, we have a lot of feelings as twos, getting those feelings out there and um, allowing them to kind of become practical Mm -hmm. and practical tools to teach people how to treat us and really to teach ourselves how to treat us as Mm. well. Yeah. Mm, I love that. Um, How can people be a part of your work? What, um, you know, I know that you have several books, but, but how can people connect to you as an Enneagram instructor and, and your work that you're doing in the world? Yeah, so I have a lot of different things going on on my website, which is just enneagramashton.com. I also always have a lot of things going on on my Instagram, which is just enneagramashton. Those are probably the two best ways to get in touch. Okay. And then will you tell us a little bit about the books that you wrote to your Enneagram books? Yeah. So the first book I wrote was called The Enneagram for Relationships. And that one breaks, uh, the book breaks down into four different types of relationships. So romantic, friendships, family, and then the relationships with your coworkers or colleagues. So it's a great, um, I kind of wrote them backwards. It's a great like like second book to read. And then the, the um, second book I wrote was called The Enneagram Made Simple. So it really is a great guidebook. Um, people have told me that they refer back to it. They share it with friends, they get it back, they highlight, you know, um, it has activities in it, which is really great. And so I would read that one first (laughs) and the relationship one second, but um, it just always, you know, makes me feel so humbled to know that people are holding my books in their hands. So you can definitely check them out on my website or wherever books are sold as well. Okay. Awesome. Well, I know there's lots of things that we could talk about because we literally only talked about one number. We could have talked about all the numbers. Um, but thank you so much for saying yes, for um, sharing your wisdom and also your personal experience. I think it's always it's always a gift to get to hear Enneagram teachers talk about the numbers and from their expertise. Um, but going through the different episodes and conversations this season, it's felt like a real gift to get to hear people share about their own personal experience. So so thank you for yeah. saying yes and, and being a part of the conversation. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. 
Hey, Enneagram friends. Thanks for listening in to my conversation with Ashton. I hope that you have a lot more clarity and awareness and wisdom around the type two structure. And for all you twos out there, I hope that you felt many moments of solidarity. I will link all of Ashton's information in the show notes, um, but I hope that you'll check out her work and, and see what she's up to. If you found this episode helpful, would you do me a favor and share it with a friend and subscribe to the podcast so that you could hear the rest of the episodes this season? That's a great way to share this resource and, and to grow the community and the conversations around the Enneagram. Okay, friends, until next time.